You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for being with us here at Napa Broadcasting. Napa has long sought to be a world-class city. We have world-class restaurants, world-class hotels, and thanks to developers like Todd Zapolsky, we're on our way to having some world-class retail. What we don't have is a world-class city infrastructure. City offices are scattered all over. The existing facilities probably still have storage space for carbon paper, Rolodexes, and dial phones. We certainly need a new city hall. But do we need the city fathers infected with an edifice complex? Building a new city hall, a new police station, a new fire station, a civic center, another hotel, plus residential, retail, and hundreds of parking spaces, plus taking valuable potential housing stock for years on the old Health and Human Services campus by building a temporary city hall, a temporary fire station, and a temporary police station. Does the city of Napa have the experience, the bandwidth, or the deep pockets to do it? Has the larger public bought into it? And what exactly do the citizens of Napa want? It may very well be that this is litigated in our upcoming city council election in November. However, by then, will the project be too far along to stop or to change? When will the Rubicon be crossed? Should the November elections actually be a kind of plebiscite on the project? And exactly how much transparency should the city engage in? We're going to talk about all of this with the man who is spearheading this entire effort. He is Napa City Manager Mike Parnass, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here to the studio. Mike, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and uh, we were talking a little bit about, uh, before we went on the air, you have a lot on your plate, and uh, in addition to all those things I mentioned and all the things that are part of this potential city hall project, there is the, the matter of the city that still needs to get run, which, which really begs, I suppose, the first question before we get into to the meat of all of this. Does the city, as currently constituted with the staff you have, the people you have, the resources that are available, is there the bandwidth to take on a project of this magnitude? Yeah, it's, that's a good question, Jeff. I, I think it's the first time since I've been here, and I've been here going on 12 years, we have the, uh, the resources in place to actually take this on. I saw the need for this my first week on the job, uh, but it's, it's a major undertaking. Uh, we now have the city council that's focused and committed. We have the staff in place. Uh, our financial position is extremely healthy, and, and uh, we, we, we need to act because it's probably the only time where the market's in a place where we could support this kind of development and make it work. I, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, aware of how much effort that's going to take, but I, I think it's something that needs to be done, and, and it can be successful. We're also not doing this on our own. It's not the city's bandwidth. We have one of the strongest uh, teams of uh, support staff in the form of financial experts, legal experts. Uh, we, we hired the people to put the billion-dollar Long Beach project together using the same approach, same with the development team. So Bond Council, all of these folks have been brought on board to advise us and to help us through the process. I want to talk about two of the things you just mentioned. First of all, one, the city council and the degree to which there is clear buy-in, in your view, from the electeds. I, I don't think there's any question. Uh, without a clear buy-in from the council, we wouldn't uh, have moved forward. Uh, we started back in 
Oh, 09, talking to the council, and by the time, you know what it was? I think it was the earthquake. There were different members of the council. There were different point. members then, but I, I think when the earthquake hit, it it caused uh, it cre- it created a sense of, of emergency on the part of the council where they they saw that geez the the emergency services that were operating out of the emergency operations center, the police operations, the fire administration, they're all in, in a building. Uh, and we were all sitting around in the emergency center saying, this building isn't designed to handle an earthquake. There was major damage in that building. And and I think we all said, I don't think we could withstand another one of these and have a public safety function uh, in place. So I think that triggered the uh, sense of emergency in their minds. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw a re-energized council uh, pushing towards getting this project underway. To your point, certainly there's been conversation about this, you say, since 2009. It does seem like a long time that this subject has been talked about. What votes has the council taken with respect to this? And what votes, in your view, do they need to take to move this project forward? Well, they've, they've been taking actions incrementally all the way through. And with any major project, there's a, a buildup, there's a flurry of activity and review, the approval of the project, and then there's a year or so where you're doing your design and your development and background, getting things ready. We're at that stage now. But we started uh, with the first... Uh, consultants report looking at programming needs back in 09. In 10, we had a uh, study that we shared with the county looking at consolidation opportunities, both services and facilities. Uh, we Then we, in earnest, started looking towards options for where we could put a city hall uh, in 13. Uh, at every one of those steps, the city council had to weigh in and uh, kind of Take action on the on the results of those studies, and then give us direction so that we could move forward. So I think there have been 15 different public uh, hearings and and active actions that the council has taken. What actions does the council need to take? What votes does it need to take, in your opinion, for this project to actually go forward at this point? The the project is going to require that the council we'll have a series of agreements that have to be in place. Uh, a development uh, agreement, um, financing, um, there's the uh, acquisition and development of swing space uh, for operations. There's, there's probably about— Swing space, just for our listeners that may not know, would be temporary space that you'd have to move into while the building was correct, being built. And correct. We'll talk about that some more. Yeah, and, and we're, we're actively working on that now. Uh, so, so there's a lot more for them to do. We just, we just had— uh, the development plan submitted. Uh, we're reviewing that now. There will be a full entitlement process. Uh, both the public and private portions of this project require all of, all of the review and public processing, and uh, we have to meet all the standards that any project would, and that's all done in public meetings. And obviously zoning changes will need to be made as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's currently zoned for public uh, for uh, the public will have to be converted. We've already taken uh, some of the zoning actions for that, uh, but yeah, when our when the plan comes in, we'll have to change the uh, the, the current site, the general plan. There's also environmental uh, report that's underway that'll have to be reviewed and approved. So there's still a lot of work to do. Talk a little bit about the public knowledge of this project and how wide do you think that is, and what more is planned to be done with respect to transparency and the public knowing about what's happening here? I, I think we have uh, an obligation to kick up the uh, 
communication with the public. Like I said before, we we had a lot of information out there and held a lot of public meetings and hearings when we were ramping up the process, looking at alternative scenarios, looking at different sites, uh, looking at financing. Uh, once the council made a decision and said, go do it, things slowed down because we were focused on getting the plans together, so we had something to really share. And from what I gather, those previous meetings were not really well attended. I mean, there weren't a lot of people that showed up. There wasn't a lot of sense that, that this was happening, that this was, was really moving forward. Well, the, the meetings were well attended. Um, and we also put out, uh, we also, we also put out uh, videos. Uh, we had fly-throughs for the various alternatives that were submitted. We had 3D models that we put out in various locations around town. You're right that we didn't get a lot of the kind of feedback that we're getting now. People looked at it because they were interested. People wanted to see what was happening. They gave us some input, but it wasn't uh, uh, kind of critical scrutiny that uh, I've been hearing lately. Talk a little bit about where the project is in terms of go or no go at this point. In other words, there are commitments that would have been made. There's obligations. There's fees that would have to be paid if things came to a grinding halt tomorrow. Where is the Rubicon in this? What is the point of no return in your view? Well, we, we are uh, working on term sheets now. That should be done in the next couple of weeks. Uh, that will then trigger the uh, uh, design and development process and the financial process. We're taking a different approach in this in this building. Uh, it's it's a DBFOM, which is design, build, finance, operate, and maintain. So the agreement that we're reaching with the developer is very different than anything we've seen before, uh, where you typically put out, you do your plan, you put out your bid, the bid comes back, the council says it's good, it's not, you go forward, and then you have uh, the construction process. Uh, this process includes all of that. So we're, we're, we're negotiating with a partner that we're going to have for the next 32 years. So when, when uh, they come in, they will, they, they've been given the go-ahead to design the building per the criteria that they've been given, meeting all the standards and specifications. And we spent a ton of time going through specifications because once that equipment is in place, they're going to be responsible for maintaining it for the duration, for 32 years. At the end of 32 years, they turn the building back to the city. We pay them annually until then. At the time they give it back to us, the building has to operate at 85% of its original operating condition. So it gives them the incentive to build the building right, to put in equipment that can withstand the test of time. And, and it's on their neck if they don't do it. It also locks them in on the cost of development so that we aren't hit with escalating costs uh, that we can't foresee now. The risk, it's a shift of risk to them mm -hmm. and away from us. Uh, so the, I would say the council's gonna have the biggest decision to make. Uh, when the financing uh, commitment and agreement comes through and we say, here's what we're responsible for, here's what they're responsible for, and here's our agreement. And that's scheduled for uh, early 19. All right. I want to back up a little bit. We've talked a bit about process, and I, I wanted to give our listeners a sense of sort of where it is and how all of this is moving along. But I want to back up now and talk a little bit about, because as we said a lot of those early meetings were not well attended and a lot of the community didn't have a chance to participate because they didn't know about why this project the way it is why this building being built on what's become known as kind of the super block site the site where city hall and the police and fire is right now why that site and why doing more than just a city hall? This involves a hotel, it involves a new police station, a new fire station. It involves a lot of moving parts. Talk about that. 
Well, there, there really are two separate projects. The, uh, the, the public process is focused on a new police station, a city hall, and relocating the fire station. Uh, the super block, as you refer to it, is everything that's on the existing block that's uh, between first and second and seminary and, uh, and um, Washington, I guess. The, uh, and that includes the, the city hall police station and fire station sites and the parking lot. Uh, the, the concept is that the city facilities will go on the, where the community development building is. Uh, the, the garage will go on the surface lot next to the existing Clay Street garage to support the city hall and uh, also to support the downtown when it's during, during hours when it's not needed for city hall. In terms of financing, um, we would pay for the building and the construction with the proceeds of the sale of our existing facilities and property, which, which we'd be selling at uh, market value. Uh, we also would then uh, issue, uh, issue debt the developer is going to be buying in and be a partner in paying for the building. And uh, the debt will be paid off by revenue generated from the private development that's taking place on our site. So the idea is, rather than going to the voters and asking them to approve bonds, which have a limited opportunity for success, uh, we can generate enough revenue and uh, to help offset significant amount of the debt that has to be paid. We're projecting now that in 12 years, we'll be generating more revenue from the site than will cost annually for the expenses, um, which is a pretty, pretty good deal uh, in order to get this much done. Uh, and our long-term financial plan says we, can, we can't support that. Of course, the argument to that is that if there was another site available with land of a lesser cost or in some kind of association with the county, that a hotel could conceivably be built on that property, the city could sell it, a developer could develop a hotel on it, and the city would get all the benefit of the TOT without it going towards necessarily the costs that are going to be involved here. Well, we'll understand all of the property that's owned by the city was factored into the, the deal. Any other sites we're going to have to pay for. The county's not going to give us any property. Uh, they have significant capital needs, and they're looking at sale of their surplus property to pay for that. We worked with the county for a couple of years, and they made the decision, and we agreed with it, that it made more sense for them to acquire their campus in the business park and to consolidate with their own operations like HHS and move down there rather than pay what it takes here, and that gave them a, a site they could sell as surplus. What about the talk that about trading land, essentially, with the city, that there, there's the Sullivan Block, for example, which the county owns, that the city might be able to get to trade some of its property for, well, un for understand that? understand the Sullivan Block was in play very early on. We also included The that. Sullivan Block, for our listeners that don't know, is where the county parking lot is. Exactly. Right, right across the street from the church. Right. The... Uh, when we first started, we, we looked at that site as a potential for either a consolidated county city site or for just the city. Uh, there are significant problems. It it's, has constraints in terms of where you could put buildings. It can't be – you'd have to replace the county parking and provide parking for all the new uses. That can't be done without a new garage, and there's no place for a new garage. The county has made it very clear that they're reserving their parking lot space adjacent to the existing garage for their needs down in the future. Right, but the fifth – arguably the Fifth Street garage could be expanded. 
No, it really can't. We'd have to build a separate garage because we're talking about a facility that would be equal in size to the Fifth Street garage. Uh, so it's it would cost a it would cost more. There's less functionality with that site. It's too crowded. Uh, the neighborhood uh, came out universally opposed to the county talking about putting facilities there. Economically, in terms of support for the downtown, doesn't provide the gateway that our project can to our downtown. So what we did though is we included that in a list of options for sites that potential developers could consider. We had that. We had the Safeway property. We had a couple on Soskill. And we basically drew a big circle around the entire downtown and said, if you submit your proposals, you can pick any available site in that area and tell us where you think we ought to go. Not one of those considering landed on the Sullivan site. We had a couple, We had one on Soskill. We had the one that we're on now. And uh, actually, two, two, and one was going to stay on the Superblock site. Uh, they all rejected the Sullivan site. And why for is that? Reasons. Why did they do that? It was just too costly and too difficult to build what we need to build on that site. Isn't it more costly, arguably, for the city to have to move out to do the swing space you were talking about before and set up four or five years worth of a temporary city hall, temporary police station, yeah, etc.? It's not. That's not going to be It's free. not four or five years. It's it's a couple of years, but and and that that's a logical question. Um, what happened when we started analyzing that was the. Uh, it puts us at risk. If we're uh, moving our facilities, the idea of doing all the work at once limits the impact on the downtown. We learned a lot during the uh, construction of the flood control project. If we can get in and get out and in a couple of years do all the work and then go, that keeps us from impacting the downtown for three years while we build City Hall and then impacting uh, the, the uh, because of the, the superblock development, that'll be five, six, seven years. The other problem, and this is more more critical, is that we had we had a number of hotel builders come to us and say, "We'd love to be part of this project. We're ready to commit now. The market is good, financing is good, interest rates are good. We're ready to sign." We said, "Would if we built our city hall and then moved into that?" Uh, and stayed in our existing facilities for three years while we did that, would you be willing to commit to coming here and, and making the same deal? They said, absolutely not. We don't know what the market will be in three years. We, we Give us a call in three years, and we'll talk to you. It's kind of what happened with the Ritz-Carlton, where they were went through the entitlement process. They were committed to building. By the time they got around to getting through the process and ready, they said, geez, we're, we're not ready to make the commitment here. The finances have changed. We couldn't afford to spend what we're going to spend on the city hall and then wonder whether we're going to get the private sector development made, built. Because we're counting on the re revenue generated by that project to early on start paying for the bond indebtedness for the city hall. So that's a huge risk that we just couldn't accept. Talk about what the risks are in all of this in terms of cost, cost overruns. You were talking about the other developer that's the city's partner in this. Explain that to people. Yeah, we're, we're working really hard to limit our risk and to put as much of it off of us as possible. Um, we're, we are, did most, we spent more money and did most of our work in advance so that we could define a very, very rigid and detailed plan that had to be addressed by the developer. Uh, once that that plan is approved, and it has been, they have to show us how they're going to build that plan. They have to give us a proposal, uh, which is planned for six months from now, that says, here's what we're going to build you for this amount of money. From that point on, the risk is theirs. 
that's that's the amount of money that, and we know how much we're going to have to issue. We know what our costs will be. If the costs go up at that point, it's on them. Uh, unlike, like I said, the, the normal process. So this is a bit unique, but it's a, I think in terms of the public interest, it's a much better way to go. It also includes in that cost, the long-term debt, all of the costs for operations, for maintenance, for replacement of equipment. So the issues with deferred maintenance that we're experiencing now, mm-hmm. our buildings are falling apart because whenever the budget was bad, nobody repaired anything. That's taken care of because it's built into these annual costs that we pay. So it's a much, much better way to save our investment, to get it built, and to lock lock in uh, the agreement so we can plan and see whether we can afford it or not. Talk about whether or not you think we're overbuilding in terms of the city hall itself, in that the amount of square footage that's been talked about seems to be more than the combined square footage of all the people that are moving into it. Well, it, the only real growth in square footage is occurring in the police department. Uh, it, they have a significant need to expand the space. Um, sorry, uh, for them, they they are uh, they're they're clearly under undersized. Uh, as far as the rest of the administration, we're not adding a lot of square footage. It's within about ten fifteen thousand square feet, uh, and that's because we have all these wasted, inefficient spaces in our current facilities. You know, we don't need break rooms in every in every department we don't need conference rooms in every department we can share restroom facilities we can if we put all that together we can create more work area for our departments and and save on all those unnecessary shared spaces we have now the the police will get almost double the space that they had before do they need to double the space yeah yeah we did a, a real detailed analysis of our programming needs and the answer is yes um and, and it's not wasted space. It's necessary to meet their needs long term. And is that the best location for the police department, given all their vehicle needs and storage needs and all the other things, the vehicles that I think most of our listeners probably see parked out behind the police station? Yeah, we've identified how we're going to uh, deal with that. The uh, Washington uh, Street is uh, not a necessary part of our circulation system in the downtown. That's going to be closed. It's an area if we can put... Uh, direct access into the back of the police department. We can secure it uh, with a fence, and they can park their vehicles there. It'll also give us the ability to put public parking on the front half of that property so the public can have immediate access to the building and don't have to go down necessarily to the garage. So, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's very efficient and very cheap. And talk about the fire station and what's what's moving, what's happening there. What's funny is we didn't include the fire station in the original plan. That is one of the things that... Two things we've have been added. One is a fire station, and the other is we've added a fourth floor to the building for expansion because we saw with the incremental cost increase was nominal, and and getting twenty four thousand square feet of growth area, we may not need it when we open. If we don't need it, we can lease it out and use the revenue to help pay off the debt. But that's added. The other is that when we went out uh, to ask for RFPs, virtually every single pr- proposer said this project is significantly diminished in value because in the key part of the block, you've got this big old fire station sitting in the middle. They said you would save money, make money, if you picked that up and moved it and allowed us to develop the the whole site. We said then show us where you would put it and what it would cost. Mm -hmm. Each one of them picked the same site, and that's the corner of uh, Clay and uh, Seminary uh, directly behind the new Civic Center. 
it's big enough. It meets all of their operating needs. It's within their service response area. And the added value people are willing to pay us in order for the land for the existing fire station largely offsets the cost of building a new fire station. Do you have concern with a fire station being essentially next to what will be a high-end hotel? I mean, do people that are paid $500 a night want to hear the fire sirens go off? It's actually not next to the hotel. There's going to be I mean, the, close, there's, close. there's the hotel. There's another block where the Civic Center is, and this is on the following block. So. That, that shouldn't be a problem. Plus, the fire department's been sensitive for years about the impact on the neighbors. They don't turn the sirens on when they leave the station because of the residential in the area. Mm-hmm. And they, they would do the same thing. Talk a little bit about how the police department, what's been the feedback from the police department about this project? The police department's been uh, integral in every aspect of the planning. When you say police department, the police chief, the police management, the management, they are they are involved in every aspect of the design and development of the police element of the plan, and uh, they're they're buying off on it. We were concerned about the interim solution because the swing space for police is different. We're planning on moving them to a temporary facility at our corporation yard, so we'd be using manufactured buildings there about 25,000 square feet. That's about half of what the ultimate would be. Uh, we would move them there because it's easy to contain, provide security, uh, and build adequate space for them. Um, so we want to make sure that that would work in the near term. We also have dispatch and all of those needs to address. So that's taking a lot of time and work with the police department to make sure they're comfortable. And so far they are. And talk about the swing space for City Hall. How do you see that? It's, it's In each of the swing space alternatives, we built in incentives for the developer to try to find a, additional opportunities for housing, particularly affordable housing. So when the HHS alternative came up, this is the county's former H- Health and Human Services site out on Old Sonoma Road. It was kind of uh, a no-brainer to say, geez, we could put all of our operations in the buildings that used to contain those offices. And when we're done with it, we could... Uh, clear the site, turn into a major housing development opportunity. And our developer would not only give it write a check for affordable housing, they'd build it. And uh, we did the same thing on the police swing space. We went to the developer and said, if we, once we build this facility, we, our current public works facilities are terrible. <laughs> They're all in corrugated metal building sheds. If we move them into behind the police into the, into the temporary site, uh, which would be a major upgrade for them. Then we could clear all the old public works stuff out and we could put affordable housing right on Lincoln uh, and put about 70 spaces out there. That's owned by the city, so we could probably have all affordable units there. So th- that that's how we envision the swing space also applying towards our goal of a predi- uh, providing affordable housing. Mm-hmm. The hotel site that we're talking about also is going to have up to 100 houses. Uh, that's part. That's one of the things they did to get extra consideration. We told them the more housing that they built, uh, the more cons- consideration they would receive. And that's planned to be market rate housing, essentially. It probably will have to be in the downtown because the property values are, are so high. Uh, so we told them you, that's fine. That'll add to the housing count, but you're going to have to take uh, provide affordable housing somewhere else. That's why they're looking at these other two alternatives to meet their obligations. Talk a little bit about who the developer is. Uh, the, our primary partner is uh, Plenary Properties Napa. Uh, they're an international uh, firm. Uh, they're, they're headquartered out of uh, British Columbia. Uh, 
uh, the office we're dealing with is out of L.A. Very large, very sophisticated, tremendous experience, depth. Um, so they've, they've delivered these kind of products all over the world. Uh, they then put together a team that they brought into the review process, and across the board, they're, ex- they're outstanding. Woods Baggett Architects out of San Francisco have built some of the iconic uh, buildings in, the, uh, in California. Um, construction, uh, the contractors are, have built major, major projects around the world. Um, we're one of the smaller projects any of these subs have built, uh, but it's, thankfully, it's this Napa brand. It's the Napa, um, uh, it's, its ability to say that they've had major, major success in building in Napa that brings these kind of people to the table. And what is the overall budget of this undertaking, including the swing space and, and all the moving parts that we've been talking about? Yeah, and the budget is moving, too. <laughs> so we're, we're, <laughs> surprise. We're, we're watching it. Uh, we're we're guessing now, or not guessing. We our estimates are that there will probably be about 110 million dollars in costs. That doesn't include um, the sale that we'll be able to take from that the sale of, their, of the properties. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna probably be issuing debt in the area of around 90 million by the time we're done. We also have savings. We have 300,000 a year we use on leases that we'll no longer have to do. We we have other expenses that uh, we will be able to shift into the annual uh, payments. So what we've done is looked at our revenue forecast going out uh, 12 years, 15 years. Uh, We've looked at our expenses with this included and we've shown that we can absorb the cost of this project without impacting any of our long-term financial needs for operations. So none of our salaries for employees, none of the programs for the citizens uh, will be able to continue to build our uh, reserves. Um, This will simply be built on revenue that's growing and uh, that's being generated by this site. And in 12 years, it'll be exclusively from this site. While the project is, well, let me ask you, first of all, in terms of concern about between now and when this would go forward, $110 million can become $150 million in a flash. I mean, the price of steel is going up. There's the whole issue of prevailing wage, which I know is going to get hotly debated as this thing moves forward. There's a lot of other issues in all of this. Well, prevailing wage isn't an issue. Um, all of the city facilities, the, the garage, the uh, fire station, this uh, civic center, and the, and the police station are subject to prevailing wage. And that's understood. And there are some that want the whole project to be subject well, to that, including the hotel. Once we sell the, the property to the private developer that's in their hands, uh, it's it's we're, we're drawing a clear line between development of the public facilities. And once we sell that property and we get an agreement on what's going to be built, uh, it's up to them. They can reach agreement or whatever, uh, but it's not our decision. The uh, co- cost control, that's why we're moving so quickly to try to get through the analysis phase and the agreements, because the sooner we do that and we get an agreement in front of the council, the sooner we can lock the financial uh, agreement in place and then cost increases in those things in the future are a risk to the developer, not to us. So we don't want to we don't want to waste time. We don't want to slow down. We we need to get these agreements done so that we can lock in. Because you're right, I'd love to do it while the interest rates are still low, while we while our costs are attainable. We can we can make it work. We've got uh, a good feeling about our ability to pull this off. I don't want to have to project out five years and say, gee, we, we, will we be okay in five years if we build then? 
Talk about the balance between your concern about wanting to move the project along quickly, and certainly you make uh, good arguments with respect to that, but also the public's need to know and allowing a sufficient enough time to have the requisite amount of meetings and the requisite amount of public involvement to really be clear about what this project is. Yeah, I I don't want to come off as as being insensitive to the need to have the public informed. Um, And and I think all of us that have been working on this for the last 10 years have a a tendency to look back on this process as how could anybody say we haven't been open and and transparent. We've got got files this thick of materials we've put out in public. and yet I agree. I, every time I've been in a project like this, it's not till you break ground that everybody comes and says, no one told us about this. Acknowledging that, acknowledging that even if everyone had a chance, had 10 chances, uh, they need to be informed. They need to be aware of what we're doing. We, we're taking that seriously, and we're, we've, we have a team of people that have been uh, brought in to help us with communications within the organization. Because believe it or not, I'm getting the same issues internally from folks that need to understand. For 10 years, we talked about doing this, and no one believed, no one paid attention because they didn't believe it was going to happen. Now they're taking it seriously because they're saying, God, he's really going to do it now. Uh, so we, we're communicating with them. We also need to do a better job with the public. So we, we have a plan. Uh, the first meeting is on the 21st. Uh, where we're going to lay the whole project out in public and explain what's going on. We've gone to Rotary to all of the normal places that you go, um, and we'll be able to continue that process over the next few months uh, and hit as many people as we can uh, so that people are more comfortable and try to get ahead of the negative and not-so-accurate information that's flying out there. From your experience, where are the things that are most likely to go wrong? Well, lots of things with any project of this size can go wrong. Um, you could you could have uh, one of the major partners get cold feet and bail before they finally before they sign the final agreement. Um, by that I mean the uh, hotel operator or the residential builder. Um, you know, we could have uh, some kind of state crazy action that takes revenue away that we d- we decided there could be a major downturn in the economy or something happens in Washington that causes the market to turn upside down and our revenue estimates have to be revised. Um, there, there are those kinds of things. We're, we're trying to build in enough cushion to where we can, unless it all happens at once, we can still keep moving forward. Talk about your political sense of this. We have city council elections coming up in November. Um, two potential new members could wind up on the city council. It's unclear. I mean, who knows? There's a ton of people running. And suppose those people don't feel the same way about this project. What are, what are the fail-safe mechanisms that are built into this, if any, at that point? Well, it's, it's, that's difficult. You, you, can, you can't say until you get someone on board. I can tell you that usually when people have the time to sit down and study the issues, really look at the facts, um, they're pretty supportive. Uh, you, know, you know Doris Gentry. She was an, she was an outspoken uh, opponent of this project when she was running for the position uh, or trying to get on the council. Uh, we sat down with her, and, and she's, but she's a very analytical person. She looked at the facts. She looked at the numbers. She, she asked a million questions. And uh, when she was done, she said, 
this is this is well thought out. It makes sense, and she's completely reversed her course, and she's now a strong supporter. And I've seen that in the past. It's hard for someone who's on the outside looking in to get enough access and enough feel for the subtleties of the issues and to get a comfort level. Um, it's easier to say no or to listen to the, the sky is falling and, uh, and say, let's stop. I'm very nervous that if it were to stop, there'd be nowhere to go. Uh, we, can't, we can't go another 10 years without addressing this issue. We looked at what we would have to do if there was a do-nothing answer. Uh, at a minimum, we'd have to build fire, uh, police facilities, make them safe and make them operable. That's going to cost $55 million on its own. Uh, building the what it would take to get these. Right now, we're operating out of an elementary school that was built 68 years ago. The community of Dullin building is an old Safeway building. Right. All of those facilities are going to have to go with major renovations. So by the time we're done, we're we're about 77 80 million dollars in costs to bring them up to operable levels but we won't have the opportunity to generate any revenue we won't we won't have any of the operational benefits of having our staff in one facility where they can communicate where the public can have the increased service levels by going to one place and getting their business done all of that would be lost that would be tragic and i so we're really we're really willing to do what it takes to try to get people aware and up to date and informed and hopefully they'll when they see all the facts they'll be more supportive and and finally talk about what impact if any this will have not necessarily in terms of bandwidth which we talked about before but with so much city focus on this will it really not allow other things to perhaps go forward more focus on affordable housing more focus on other things that the city might need to do that but it might have to be put off until this is a little more under control because there are only a limited number of people and a yeah. limited amount of hours in every day no i i hear you and it is it is an, an impact on the organization but we've really divvied up uh in teams um so that it makes sense um Public Works is playing a major role in this, but we brought on support staff that are largely running the project, and Public Works is just supporting them. Uh, I, uh, the time I spend, I have I now have an assistant that is working on a lot of the development issues. Community development has purposely been left out of the detail of this because they need to be there supporting the development process. F finance is engaged, but the different staff assigned. So. I, I, and with all of this, with all of the technical team that we've put together, the private expertise, uh, we can keep it moving forward without having a too great of an impact on our existing staff support. And I do have to ask you one final question. It's it's a personal one, but it has come up repeatedly in my conversations with people out there. And you clearly are the guy that has all these moving parts in your head right now, and and you've been the the key player in all of this. And there's many people that say, well, yeah, that's fine right now, but, but he's leaving town. He's, he's retiring. He's not <laughs> going to be involved in this. It'll start, and then he'll be gone. What's the story? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know people have me leaving town and, and, and retiring, and I've never said that. Um, I, I think it's just because I'm an old guy. He's been around <laughs> for 38 years, so it's a logical assumption. I, I will. I will tell you, Jeff. I when I talked to the council, I made it clear to them this is a project I care about deeply. Uh, I would like to stick around long enough to make, get the commitments that we're moving forward, to get the agreements in place. I don't need to be here for the construction. I don't need to be here for the ribbon cutting. Uh, I would like to be here long enough so that I can work with the community and with staff to get the issues in place. At that point, I'd feel. Uh, 
that that it's it's in good hands and going forward. I've also purposely taken a step back. I'm, I, I think you're giving me too much credit for having a hands on this project. I have really active people that I've assigned to this so that if I were to leave tomorrow, that would keep going. And uh, the people that are focused on various aspects of this are in place to continue to make it happen. I'm not, I'm not the guy calling all the shots. We have, we have in-house staff and we have outside support that could carry this project over the finish line with or without me. Mike Parnas, I thank you so much for coming in and giving us a lot of insight into all this. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.